This is Oxpinoy Radio, brought to you by your hosts Nicole Dela Cruz and Ro Imperial. Hi everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Oxpinoy Radio. I'm Nicole Dela Cruz. And I'm Roland Imperial, and we've got a lot of episodes for you for this season, our first season of Ox Pinoy Radio, we've got four episodes and we're going to be starting with beauty pageants. Yeah, so when we were brainstorming our episodes, we first thought of beauty pageants and honestly it made perfect sense. They're very linked to the Filipino culture and the Filipino identity. However, as someone who didn't grow up there, I don't know an awful lot about them. So Ro, I was wondering if you could tell us how we came to decide on beauty pageants as our first episode. Well, I know a fair bit about beauty pageants coming from someone who has grown up in the Philippines for a good 15 years. Um, it's pretty much part and parcel of Filipino culture. It's almost in the same level as like KTVs or karaoke or adobo or, yeah, yeah. or, or, or problematic politics. <laughs> um, so the Filipino, Filipino beauty pageantry is a big thing. Um, uh, beauty pageant experts usually refer to the Philippines as a pageant powerhouse. That's what they say. Yeah, they do. They um, do. Because we, we are literally a machinery of of of, of pageant winners. Uh, I mm-hmm. think there's been a lot of pageant winners lately in the past decade or yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. So there's Pia um Wurtz Um Pia Wurtzbach. Yeah, yeah. And Catriona um, Gray. Uh, yeah, yeah. The two former Miss Universes, I want to say. Um, Yeah, it's kind of crazy to me um, that there are so many um, and they become, you know, they're obviously a big deal because they've just won Miss Universe, but they go on to do amazing things such as representing the Philippines at UN level. Um, They go on to enter politics as well. So it's not just the beauty pageants um, they win and there's a whole industry surrounding beauty pageantry. And the Philippine pageant industry has definitely reshaped the way we think about yes. pageantry in general yes. or international pageantry in general. Um, I think it used to be the case that pageants are just simply for you know beautiful, tall, sexy women who mm-hmm. parade themselves in, in gorgeous gowns and swimsuits. I think it's yeah. much more than that now where you have winners like Pia Wurtzbach and Catriona Gray championing their advocacies in certain causes. And speaking of, you know, speaking of that kind of change, um, what do we have for today? Yeah, so I was so excited to interview the two guests we had for this week. First of all, we spoke to Jean Navarra. Now, Jean is not only an academic, he's actually a senior lecturer at the National University for Singapore. Um, where he teaches at the Centre for English Language Communications. Um, But also he is a huge fan of pageants, so much so that he's actually a professional coach and trainer. And it was really cool speaking to him, especially talking to him about the Q&A section, because he brings all of his academic insights and his knowledge about communicating in English to his work as a trainer. And then secondly, I had the absolute honour of interviewing the reigning Miss Transglobal, the very first Miss Transglobal, and she's the first Filipina to have won the title. So I spoke to Mela Habian and we had a lot to discuss. We were talking about the current state of affairs in the Philippines and she was also talking about her experiences competing as a trans woman and a trans woman of colour. 
And I, I, I was there for the interview with uh, Sergene Navera, but I wasn't there for the interview with Mela. So I'm very excited to hear what you and Mela uh, talked about in the interview. Welcome, everyone, to Oxpano Radio, and welcome to Jean. Thank you so much for being on our podcast today. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for the introduction. No worries at all. Yeah, we're really excited to have you on the show today. When we were thinking of guests, we thought you'd be great because you have this really interesting mix between academia and, of course, being really invested in Miss Universe. So I wondered if you could tell us a little bit more about how you got into pageantry and why this really interesting mix between the two. I think I started when I was a young boy. I was fascinated with pageantry. I, I do remember that I had a verbal tussle with my grandmother. She was 75 and I was like five years old, turning six. She, um, I was watching, I think, a pageant on our black and white television. And she was um, telling me to stop watching and to sleep. And I, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't accept what she was telling me to do. So I actually, uh, you know, confronted her, five-year-old confronting a 70-year-old woman, telling her that she's mean, she's tough, and, you know, she, she instead of, like, uh, instead of scolding me, she actually laughed at me, because I think that, that became a legend, because I was the first uh, grandchild of my, of my grandmother to have actually, uh, you know, uh, responded to her that way so and that was because of a beauty passion if i remember correctly i was watching a beauty pageant, and i was just so fascinated with it i adored the women not in a way that boys would or regular boys would but i mean i was queer uh, as a kid i i knew that i was uh, queer as a kid so I, I adored women parading on stage in their evening gowns and their swimsuits and their national costume. And I think um, I've been a follower of pageants since that time. I think it's really cool that you had such an interest at a young age. And I wondered how you acted upon that. How did you get into working as a professional coach for these pageants? How did I get into coaching? I, I got into coaching much later. I was first an enthusiast. When I was doing my PhD in Singapore, th this pageants were my diversion. So I would, um, I would write articles in the forums. I was an active member of Missisology, one of the pageant websites. And they had a forum there. And they still, I think, have a forum there. Um, and I would, you know, write my commentaries on pageants. Um, once I'm done with my, you know, PhD work, uh, I think immediately after my comprehensive exams, I sat down, forgot about, you know, my PhD, started writing on, on national pageants. So that was my, uh, that, I think that was when I became really involved into pageantry. And then um, I developed friends because of my involvement in these forums. Uh, and because of these friends, I got to know some of the candidates. And I started, I think, coaching in 2016. 
uh, Kylie Versosa, who eventually became Miss International, because I was such a fan. I wasn't really, you know, uh, trying to be uh, a professional coach. I just wanted to support her. And part of my support as a pageant fan is to train her in the area where I can, you know, help her, which is the Q&A, because I teach communication. I'm in that particular area. So I thought that is where I, I, I'd intervene. Some of my friends who are in the U.S. would, you know, send money to, uh, you know, to, uh, to buy stuff like uh, high heels, uh, makeup, uh, uh, sig signature bags, um, clothes. Uh, they would pay for the costumes. If, if there's a need for, like, enhancement of the features of uh, the candidate, they would do that. So, so it's actually a, a collaboration of different fans. So I was part of that collaboration. And my, my, my part was to train in the interview. So that was Kylie Versosa in 2016. And after that, I think it was Atisa, yeah. Atisa? No? Yeah. yeah, I trained a, 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 a few other candidates. And then um, last year, uh, we organized a camp, what we call, we call the camp a camp, the, the camp, Coaches, Advisors, and Muses for Pageantry. So this is a group of friends, pageant enthusiasts from different parts of the world. So there's one in Australia, a few from the Manila, the Philippines, uh, several from the U.S., uh, where else? Singapore. So it's Australia, U.S., Philippines, Singapore. So we're a group of fans, about 10 to 12 uh, members. And so we thought, okay, it's about time that we, you know, make our interventions felt. And one way to actually, you know, make an impact in the pageantry as enthusiasts is to actually train uh, women who aspire to be beauty queens. So we did train um, a couple of candidates, but I specifically trained uh, the first runner-up of, oh, she eventually won the first runner-up of the inaugural Miss Universe Philippines. Wow, right. Well, I was going to ask them because your area of research is really fascinating. You know, you do political rhetoric. And I think political rhetoric in the Philippines, coming from the UK, it's very, very different. Um, so I wondered then, what are the overlaps that you see with your kind of coaching? And also, what does that coaching look like? What do you do with the candidates? Um, and, and where are the areas of overlap between your political research about discourse? And then the Q&A session, what are you looking for? I, I really haven't thought of that until you you know, sent me the, the questions and I thought, okay, wow, have I really seriously thought about the overlap? But in fact, I considered doing a postdoctoral uh, work on beauty pageants, the discourse of beauty pageants. So when I was doing my doctoral studies, I was um, thinking of, and I haven't really, you know, realized this, thinking of studying the online discourse in the beauty pageant forum because it's such a vibrant community um in in my i would actually post on my social media accounts on my thoughts on pageants and i came up with the idea of a queer gaze because the queer gaze is such a powerful gaze in in beauty in in the beauty pageant world um i think the uh the community 
is very much into into pageantry. Not that everybody actually, not, not not that everybody in the community is into pageants, but there's a I think a majority of the members of the pageant fandom. There's a strong queer element uh, in, in in pageantry, especially in the Philippines. And uh, drawing from your story, when you were five years old, I mean that kind of queer gaze like started at a very young age. And yeah, I think it's really interesting to sort of see, or see, you know, to actually know more about that maybe through you know future research. <laughs> yes, yes. So so in terms of overlap, so I thought okay, there's there's a discursive element to, or there's a rhetorical element to. The pageantry, so I, I could probably study that. Although I haven't really, you know, done uh, systematic research on on that particular in, the, in that particular area. I think I do that one of these days. Um, one of the things that I'd like to do in the future, I don't know when that is exactly, is to write on page, uh, pageantry from the point of view of rhetoric, from the point of view of discourse studies, because I think it's a very rich area that um, one can systematically analyze. Um, so, in, but I could also think of, you know, pageants or pageant coaching as an extension of my work, because I, I teach communication, I teach writing, I teach um, students how to articulate themselves and how to present themselves, so that they could be better understood. And so I could translate that into coaching. And that's what I emphasize when I coach. I'm currently coaching two uh, aspiring candidates for the national pageant. And that's what I, why, that's what I emphasize, that um, in the end, this is about self-presentation. This is about um, telling your story. Uh, yeah, in line, in line with this idea of, of communication and rhetoric and and, and public speech, public speaking, um, a lot of, I think pageants have sort of, sort of moved towards this sort of idea that you, you, only, you, you win the pageant by, by nailing the Q and A. Mm. Yeah. And how, so how do you, how, how do you, how have you seen beauty pageants change over time from being just a, you know, it used to be like a beauty contest where the most beautiful woman wins, but now it's more of an effort to promote inclusivity and women empowerment. How, from your experience, from your, from your eyes, how do you, how have you seen beauty pageants change throughout the years and the, the decades? I think it has, it has changed um, quite significantly. Um, I think Miss Universe, for instance, started as a uh, bathing suit competition in the 1950s, 1952. Uh, Miss World also, I think, started as a bathing suit competition, but Miss World has actually uh, eliminated swimsuit competition in, um, in, its current, uh, in its current iteration, I think since a couple of years ago. Um, and, and Miss Universe has actually evolved into uh, a platform for uh, women empowerment. Uh, I think what is important now when you compete, especially in these mainstream pageants, uh, there are still pageants that are very traditional. The emphasis on pulchritude, the emphasis on the female form is still there. Um, I think it would be, it's, it's very anachronistic really from the point of view of, let's say, feminists. Why would we be allowing women to parade in their swimsuits? 
Um, but I think in major pageants, it has evolved into uh, a celebration of fitness, of physical fitness and health. And um, I think the element of advocacy has, has been emphasized, has been amplified in these pageants. So it's actually evolved over time. It has become Miss South Africa, uh, and which produced the current winner, Tsotibini um, Tunzi. Uh, Miss Universe. Universe, yeah. So they've produced, I think, uh, three winners. Uh, they won in twenty seventeen, and they won again in twenty nineteen. So the reigning winner is from South Africa. If you look at their website, they they they, they present the Miss Africa contest as a leadership platform for ambitious young women. So it's not so they're using the pageant process as a means to develop their leadership skills. So it's no longer just a beauty pageant. It's not. It's no longer just a, a celebration of uh, beautiful figures and beautiful faces. It's really a celebration of, of 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 the power of women, of the capacity of women to, you know, take up space. If I if I'm if I'm if I'm to borrow that particular. I'm borrowing the phrase from the current Miss Universe to take up space and to assert themselves. Um, but of course, I don't want to romanticize or idealize pageants. There has been, uh, I think, a history of exploitation. And I think that has to be recognized. And if I were to actually write the book on pageants, I would include that. But I wouldn't be so simplistic and monolithic by saying that pageants are exploitative of women. Because I think... Um, some of the organizers and some of the women themselves, and I tell this when I train the pageant uh, contestants, uh, that you can actually turn pageants on their head. You can actually exploit the pageants to your own advantage. You can actually use the pageant to advocate for you know, the empowerment of women. So instead of the pageant exploiting you, you can actually use your voice to transform the pageant. And that has always been my advocacy when I make this, uh, when, I, when I've decided to actively intervene. This can be transformed. And, it's, and we, we see manifestations of these transformation. It's not radical. I wish it were radical. I would want to see the time when it's not just women who are competing, but individuals. Okay, that's a very, very radical uh, proposition. But, you know, individuals competing, celebrating different kinds of beauty. Uh, I, I would like to see that evolution of, of the Miss Universe pageant. But I also would like to honor the history that it, you know, it started as like a bathing suit competition. And um, the fact that it has evolved, the fact that it has changed, it has changed is I think a fascinating thing. And it's worth um, documenting. It's worth accounting for. It's a testament to our capacity to transform, to change. Yeah, and I think that one of the cool things you bring up is the fact that these are individual women who are using pageants to their advantage to build their own careers. Um, I wondered then, we know that pageants are really popular amongst the LGBTQ plus community. And I wondered why, why are they so popular? And what do pageants offer that other mainstream competitive events don't? 
I think that um, pageants have given us affordances, have given us opportunities to um, showcase our talents. So, you know, uh, the fashion industry is dominated by queer individuals. And so the pageants are actually a way to showcase um, their talents in, in fashion design and creating costumes and creating evening gowns. Um, so especially for um, amateur designers, it has become a platform to you know, showcase what they have and to affirm their, their talents. It has also been an opportunity for, I think, uh, some of the members of the community to, to train women. Um, in a way, I, I think this is going to be a very controversial statement. Um, some of these contestants have been, I think, extensions of ourselves. We see them like, you know, so some of us cannot compete in actions. So we might as well train these women. So we are actually part of that, I'd say communal dreaming. So when you're like, when you see women on stage and you're supporting that women, it's, you're vicariously, you know, uh, competing in that stage as well. I love that. I love the idea of a communal dream that all Filipinos share. And I think that says a lot about Filipino identity. There seems to be such a link between winning beauty pageants and having national pride and feeling Filipino. And I mean, you yourself have even been criticized for coaching contestants from outside of the Philippines. So I wondered where this link comes from. Why is there such a sense of pride for winning beauty pageants? Yeah, I think that is precisely the reason. We've, we've won a lot. Um, we have a history of victory in these pageants. I don't think we will be as enthusiastic if, we're, if we have not won. We won in 1964. The very first uh, international crown for the Philippines was 64 Miss International Gemma Cruz, who's an intellectual herself. She's a She's a writer. She became the tourism secretary during the Estrada administration, and she's written books. Um, and she's a descendant of Jose Rizal. So 1964, and then after that, 1969, we had Gloria Diaz, first Miss Universe, 70, another crown for the Miss International, Aurora Pihuan, 73, Margie Moran. So that particular, so 60s and 70s were like golden you know, decades for Philippine pageantry because we've won major crowns then. We almost won Miss World in 73, so we won uh, first runner-up. So I think that stuck to the Filipino mindscape. And so we thought, okay, if we're good at this, we might as well, you know, we haven't won a gold medal in the Olympics, but we've won Miss Universe, we've won Miss International. That means we're good at it. That means the, the world recognizes, you know, Filipina beauty. And so I think there's, a, there's um, that yearning to sustain that one. And so I think there were, there were decades when we considered the Philippines was in a drought because we were not getting into the Miss Universe in my mind. So that was really sad. I, I mean, I was a, I'm a pageant enthusiast and I remember how how sad I was every time the Philippines didn't make the cut for like for 10 years. I would pray the rosary before the, before the pageant just to make sure that, you know, no, no stone is left unturned. 
but uh, th those were the the dry the 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 the, the years of, of of drought as it were. Speaking of that drought, what do you think was the turning point when Philippines started winning a lot of these Miss Universe titles and started placing like, once yeah. again in the semifinals? Because I think it started with Venus Ra. Um, yeah. So what's the turning when, point at the time? 2010 was a turning point. I think Venus had a story to tell. You know, she was dethroned in the national pageant because of some passport issue or some because of her, I think, uh, birth certificate issue. So, um, and people rallied behind her. And, uh, you know, that I think broke the internet as it were. Um, so I think the Miss Universe organization must have caught I mean, the attention of the Miss Universe organization must have been caught because of that scandal, because of that controversy. Um, I think it's a confluence of factors. Um, the, the pageant coaching also, I think, has matured at that particular point. So Venus was a product of that um, maturity in terms of coaching, in terms of preparation. She had a story to tell. She was a very, uh, she was also a very competitive candidate. Um, she was really thirsty for the crown. And so when we made the cut, oh my gosh, that was like the end of try fell. Everybody was joyous. Of course she didn't win the crown, but that was a glorious moment for every, you know, pageant enthusiast. I was shouting, I was alone in my, apartment i was calling friends at that time it's like i was like actually crying <laughs> so that's how crazy we are when it comes to pageants so so i think that the history of victory has contributed a lot to our fascination with pageants we're good at it so we might as well sustain it yeah, um, so we have been good at it in the past. Um, and I wonder then where and how you see pageants changing in the future for the Philippines. Um, you brought up the idea of coaching um, other countries, right? Other, so I think we, we, we see ourselves, you know, branching out. So the pageants have actually offered us opportunities to, you know, test our metal or to... to um, to, to share, you know, our knowledge about pageantry. So it's not really a bad thing. It's actually part of our national pride, if you can call it that, to be extending our help towards our neighbors. So we have Filipinos training uh, candidates in Singapore, Filipinos training candidates in Vietnam, in Cambodia, in our um, neighboring countries because we have so much to offer, I think, uh, because we have, I think over the last decade at least, um, evolved in terms of our coaching skills, in terms of training. So we've actually, I think, mastered the code. Of course, the code um, can change, but we've actually mastered the code so that other countries, especially from our neighbors from 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 the region would you know would trust a filipino coach would trust a filipino trainer because like I, building building the soft like soft power within within yes. the region you know like um, being the expert in expert in pageantry 
and Philippines. I don't think we're going to win every year. So I think it's also good to like share the you know the victory, mm-hmm. as it were, with um with our neighbors. Uh, so it, I think it's it's also good to think that Southeast Asia, uh, which at some point in pageant history has been um, or had been uh, treated or considered as the timid, you know, the, the timid region, yes, because the Latinas who dominate the pageants, they were really really good. Um, they they had good trainers, so they would dominate the pageants, but. Right now, it's actually the Southeast Asians, Thailand, Vietnam, um, Cambodia is catching up. Indonesia, they're you know they're catching up. They're they're they actually have vibrant um, fandoms. They have vibrant um, pageant communities. Um, and sometimes they would even you know have verbal tussles with Filipinos because you know of, of the nationalistic spirit. But I think we're we're evolving as as fans. We're um, establishing solidarity with our neighbors and that's that's a good sign. I think Jean's comments here really show how beauty pageants have been used to empower the Philippines. You know, we talked about soft power, we talked about how it instilled a sense of national pride. But I was also thinking about how beauty pageants help to empower the self, um, especially talking to Mela. Now, Mela had some really cool things to say about spreading her message. And whilst she was so proud of the pageantry, what she was really proud of was being able to use it as a tool for herself and other trans identities around the world. Welcome everyone and welcome to our guest today, Nella Havian. She is the current Miss Trans Global and honestly I am so excited and really happy that you said yes to being on today's episode. So thank you so much. So Mella, how are you today? What have you been up to? I am so surprised that I have been invited to be on this podcast because little did I know I would reach the UK, more so Oxford University. And for a girl who lives in Oxford Street, here in a village in the Philippines, it feels like I am in the same room with everybody else who's studying in Oxford. I'm very happy to have been invited by um, Filipinos myself who are thriving and excelling in the UK. So thank you so much, Nicole and Ro, for having me today. Um, today, we will be talking about um, a very phenomenal aspect of Filipino culture, yeah. pageantry. Pageantry yeah. has has been um, a powerful force in defining who we are as a country. And as you know, we have won so many crowns throughout the history, from Miss Universe down to Miss International, Miss World, Miss Earth, and other pageants. And I am your current Miss Trans Global 2020, the first ever Woo! to win the title. <laughs> Yeah, congratulations for that. I think it's amazing. And I also, I I feel such a sense of pride when there are so many Filipinos thriving and really being out kind of internationally and, you know, getting to tell the Filipino story, I think. And I think it's great that you come at this um, with your own experiences and your own personality. Um, Yeah, tell us a little bit. So how, how did you enter the industry? Like what spurred you to go into pageantry? Well, I've always been fond of uh, pageants 
my first dream was to be Miss Universe. I was four when I stumbled upon Miss Universe. I was really glued on television, just merely watching these girls from different nations, um, having their um, countries written on a sash, just merely uh, being present on stage, um, fighting for the crown, vying for the, the coveted title. Yeah. And I saw the winner, Lupita Jones, and she's so beautiful. She's so regal. She's very coiny. And I told myself, I want to be her. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's for the dream that I really wanted to be a queen. And I guess that started my journey into uh, me seeing myself as a different person. Sure. Meaning to say, um, I, am, I ain't straight. Uh, for, for the context of everyone, I am different inside. And when I came out as trans, I went back to that dream. I went back to my four-year-old self, um, embraced her wholeheartedly, and told her, thank you for making me free. Thank you for allowing me to spread my wings and live the woman who you really are. So now I am a proud transgender woman who's just enjoying every single bit of myself. Um, I can say that I'm beautiful. <laughs> yes, I can of say course. That I'm beautiful. <laughs> I'm proud of the genes that I got from my parents. But you know what? <laughs> the the physical aspect of me is just a manifestation of what's really inside of me. And that's really happiness. So happiness is what brought me to pageantry. Truth is what brought me to pageantry. So when I owned my truth and my happiness, I told myself, okay, maybe this is the perfect time for me to fulfill my dream of being a beauty queen. So when I stumbled upon um, national pageants here in the Philippines, I tried out for two, um, one third runner-up and second runner-up. I thought um, I would be joining more, which I wish I, 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 I could join more. But um, there's this pageant whom I, who, uh, which I came across um, while scrolling on Facebook. And that's Miss Trans Global. So wow. when I saw the ad, I, I watched it and it said, do you want to be um, this, a spokesperson for the trans community? So it's a pageant based in London made by trans women for trans women advocating for transgender rights. So for me as an advocate here in the Philippines who has been speaking up about our plight and our, about our fight as a community, it mattered to me. Yeah. So I yeah. submitted an audition video and was lucky to be chosen to be one of the 18 finalists. And... That's it. Yeah. That's basically that's it. Um, they allowed me to um, to join, be a representative of the Philippines, and fight for my way towards the crown. And what's more interesting is that everything happened digitally. So we oh, wow. weren't okay. present on the same venue. We were at the comforts of our own home. So if you will be yeah. watching uh, Miss Trans Global, it's available on YouTube or on Facebook. You can see that each candidate were recording themselves. I recorded my videos together with my family. So behind me was my siblings. Um, 
and my parents were cheering on us while we were videotaping every single video. So I guess that also contributed to the sweetness of the victory that I got from Miss Trans Global. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your story. I, I think that's amazing. And I think it's beautiful as well. You spoke of your family being so supportive um, and to have your loved ones around you when you want. I think that's amazing. Um, so that thing you said about the kind of external appearance being used as a vehicle to realizing the true self, the true self that has always been there. I think that was really important. Now, of course, one thing has changed. You are the current Miss Trans Global. So I wondered then how you plan on using your crown as a platform for your advocacy. You know what, Nicole, I guess the title that I have now opens so many gates um, for me to be able to just speak up and represent the trans community. I am very fortunate to have been on the headlines of major news um, outfits here in the Philippines, just merely telling my story, um, more so um, delivering the things and the truths that are happening um, to every trans woman here in the Philippines, how we have been treated unfairly by the society in terms of um, our relationship with our family, our relationship with our workmates, if we have jobs, our relationship um, with the school administrators and our um, schoolmates, um, our relationship with people who, whom we don't even know but discriminate us. So these are the truths that the world needs to hear because as for me, as a trans woman, we have been deprived of opportunities and now is the time for us to reclaim it because yeah. for us, we believe that our identity isn't wrong. More so, it is the strong vehicle that allowed us to uh, forge towards and foray to the fields that we want to be in. It just so happened that especially here in the Philippines, if I may say, we can only be in four limited areas, fashion, beauty, um, you have BPO and sex work. What is that? What is BPO? Um, it's a call center uh, industry. Okay. It's a call center industry. So um, these are, th these for me are career tracks. But when we are just limited to it, um, if we want to become a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, a teacher, or any, just nearly anyone, be a professional, we're, we don't have that opportunity because some of us couldn't even finish a degree yeah. because we're not allowed to be our authentic selves in the university. There are universities that do not allow us to wear women's clothing because according to their rules, quote-unquote, it isn't inappropriate. Yeah. So there are, there are things that we need to unlearn. That's why I'm pushing for, um, for me to be visible, yeah. for me to exert more effort so that we can be heard, we can be seen, more so we can be felt. I, I think that, you know, what you said about the career paths is really tragic because i think you know the philippines um 
if you're kind of if you're Filipino and you have a sense of pride, um, and yet this is a country that has laws in place that are discriminatory, how do you balance that? How do you feel a sense of pride for your country as as a Filipina, but also, um, you know, the country hasn't been that nice to you? So how do you reconcile that? I think it will always it will always be rooted on the fact that we still have so many things to celebrate. Yeah. I have my family with me and my family has accepted me wholeheartedly. I am very lucky to be born to parents who are nothing but loving. More so, I have so many friends who have accompanied me with my journey. I meet so many people along the way and they're thrilled with my journey. They're still holding my hand and hope, and are hoping to um, just merely seeing me working towards the goal. More so, I guess, I have talents to celebrate. I'm a writer. I act on TV series and digital series which I am surprised that came <laughs> true because I never thought that I would have that opportunity to be seen on TV because when, when I was um, a teenager, I tried out for a singing competition. Um, during that time, I, I really wanted to perform on TV and I knew I had a great singing voice. <laughs> but during the audition, I was told that my identity was confusing because I sounded like a man, yet I moved like a woman. And because of that confusion, um, I, I was not able to fulfill that goal of, to perform. Um, it hurt me a lot. That's why I stopped singing. But it allowed me to divert myself and divert my path to another platform in which I can use my voice, speaking. Yeah. So I developed my hosting skills, public speaking skills, um, that's why I guess I speak so passionately <laughs> because um, I've been speaking all my life, I guess. So, yeah, so there are so many things to celebrate, even though there are moments in which you just want to question the world for maltreating you, for the prejudices that you throw at us. I guess I draw strength from the fact that I see beauty in me. Yeah. Yeah. I see I see talent in me. More importantly and above all, I guess, I see love in me. That is so powerful. Thank you. Thank you. That is so powerful. And I think that one of um one of the things that makes your story so beautiful is that you're using, you know, this platform that used to be arguably quite exclusive to now being something that includes and uplifts everybody and I think that is so powerful um I also think that you know when you were talking about seeing the beauty in you and the fact that pageants are not just about what you look like but that it's the beauty in terms of how you express yourself and how you become a better person for it whether that's engaging with charities or using your platform to advocate for lgbtq plus rights um i think that is so beautiful and i think that's perhaps why pageants are so popular amongst the lgbtq plus community because they're so uplifting um, that there's something that draws everybody together. And yeah, I, I, tell me about that. I guess it's really a, about the fascination. The fascination of um, people watching it, people viewing it, because 
it's a visual spectacle to be right. seeing beautiful women come together. It's like the Olympics. <laughs> it's like the Olympics with one representative who is considered to be beautiful, talented, and outspoken. And they are there competing, uh, I, well, healthily competing yeah, yeah. with one another um, to just um, be able to, to let the world know who and what kind of a people we are. And we're coming from different nations with different cultural backgrounds. I guess this, there's always spectacle when cultures come together. You'll yeah. be seeing differences, you'll be seeing diversity, you'll be seeing so many perspectives throughout the joining of forces of different people from all over the world. And that being said, I guess that, that is what made pageants really appealing to LGBTQ plus community here in the Philippines. There's always a fascination of that spectacle, of that grandness. More so, it speaks royalty. Yeah, yeah. Right? It speaks royalty. So that is one language, I guess, that we hold on to, that as an oppressed community, we also aspire to be royals of our own. And hopefully one day, by just looking at that specific woman wearing the crown, we could relate with her. We could see ourselves with her. And it is just re- merely celebrating her and her victory that will allow us to do so. That's so incredible. And I think as well, you know, what you were saying about when you were a child and how going back to that, going back to who you were made you realize that this was your truth. And I think that is so powerful that you know, it was through pageants that you were able to realize who you were. Um, and I think that's so beautiful. I think as well, you know, you, you say that you that this um, Miss Trans Global is based in London. And I think your point about different cultures coming together is really important. Um, how have you found it competing as a woman of color? It's fairly interesting because somehow growing up, I didn't like my skin tone. Yeah, because lots of here in the Say here in the Philippines, when you're brown skinned, I'm tan. Yeah. So when you're tan, when you're dark, you're considered dark skinned. Right. And yeah. um, Filipinos are fascinated with the idea of being white. Yeah. Of yeah. having that white con- uh, complexion. If you have that bright skin, you mean power and. I, I guess that's really a product of colonization. We were mm-hmm. colonized by the Spaniards. We were colonized by the Americans. Mm-hmm. And throughout those long years of being um, disempowered, the only way to do so when you see people who are um, over uh, overpowering you, you just want it to be them. Yeah, and physically, sure. they're white. Yeah. And I remember growing up, there was always like a bar of like papaya soap. And I didn't realize till much later, this, this, this soap bleaches your skin. Like it it makes you whiter. And I had no idea. And, you know, seven-year-old me was using this soap. And then I realized, well, it bleaches your skin. And I think it's because my mom has always been fascinated by having like 
bright white skin and it's not necessarily that she wanted to be white it was just that she wanted to be pale because that's the look right when you go to the philippines and also i've noticed in a lot of countries in southeast asia if you look at the adverts and the models and the celebrities they're all really pale skin and when you look at the past um winners of miss universe that have been filipino all of them i think have been biracial um and so they're, they're a lot paler than the average filipino um, and so, yeah, it's it's this weird mix of being proud of being Filipino on the one hand, but also the, the colorism as a result of colonialism, where they just don't feel that sense of pride in being your kind of natural skin tone. There's always this sense of like wanting to be whiter. I, I, I believe so too, because, you know, when you're oppressed, you begin to see yourself as someone who's below than those who are very powerful. If they're white and you're brown-skinned, you'll treat yourself as someone... Uh, it's, it's really because I feel ugly. And they're, they're the more powerful beings, so they're more beautiful. They're more acceptable. They're, um, they have this space in the society. And I want to have that too. I aspire to have that too. So I will look like them. I will speak like them. I will act like them so that I can be at par with them. More, more so, when you speak English fluently, people are like, oh my God, he's so good at speaking the language. That means this person is so intelligent. <laughs> it's so, so true. There's also that um, colonized feeling that whenever someone is um, English speaking, it's kind of a sense of power too right right mm. and i see that like you know we, we just finished an episode on overseas workers and a lot of the people that i was speaking to they talked about the fact that when you speak english and when you've gone over to a different place and you know you've picked up these different languages you go home and it's almost like you're a hero because you know another language because you can speak english so well and it's like people i think in the philippines are very proud of being filipino right but like there's this sense that when you have skills like english or if you're pale you're almost better than um and so there's, there's still a kind of hierarchy when it comes to questions about race specifically colorism i think yes definitely um because um there's really that thinking that we will still be below the colonizers and whether we know it we are aware of it it has been culturally ingrained in us so i guess with the revolution of pageantry with the revolution of um exchanges in terms of schools of thought and even on social media we begin to deconstruct the meaning of beauty yeah. more so we begin to deconstruct the meaning of being smart, being intelligent, we begin to deconstruct the meaning of Filipino right now. Yeah. That yeah. A Filipino is powerful, beautiful, because he, she, they are, are um, this kind of uh, human beings that by nature, they're brown skinned. Mm -hmm. By nature, they're tough and resilient. By nature, they are born in um, in a paradise of islands um, that really made the skin color brown because we are in the Pacific. And 
I am very much proud of the Filipinos because in the question and our answer portion of every single pageant, they look into the substance. Yeah, they look yeah, into they the ends of the candidate. That is why we get frustrated if ever the winner isn't isn't the candidate who gave the best answer. Okay. So what kind of things do you talk about during these Q&A sessions? Like when when they ask you questions about being a beauty queen, what are they asking and how do you respond to things like that? It really depends right now. Um I think at the moment it's really about social issues and I'm very happy that it has evolved into this um kind of discussion of um the things that are happening around us will always affect us as individuals more so as communities and above all as a nation. Um it is very important for me most especially as an advocate because we get to see how we are linked all together. Yeah. That these things are 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 needed to be discussed so that as a community as a nation we know how to address them so opinions matter analysis and substance matter um being able to be involved and um attend to the things that are happening around us um are very crucial so that we can see that queens aren't just queens queens are leaders queens are leaders and i think that's so beautiful and i think even with your work as well like you have really used your platform as you we were talking about earlier you know for twitter instagram and all of these things that i think for other people it may just be a case of i don't know uploading a photo of your dog or whatever but here we have you know you using social media as a way to broadcast your message and i think that's so important i think it's so important that you are speaking about trans issues and it's nobody speaking for you it's it's you speaking for yourself and i think the beauty about beauty pageants is the fact that we have all of these beautiful women talking about themselves loving themselves and loving each other one thing i've always admired about the beauty queens is they're always so gracious i love when they they can just talk to one another um we had that scandal a few years ago didn't we about i think it was miss columbia who was crowned miss universe or something like that and then the yes. end it wasn't her um she handled that really well <laughs> i would be so heartbroken if that was me but she handled it really well and then the crown was given to pia words back yeah miss yeah. philippines mm-hmm. so we were so amazed with how, how the spectacle happened yeah um yeah. there were there were issues of course that it was um rigged for that matter so as to amplify uh miss universe as a pageant in a global scene you but think? W- whatever the issue was yeah. the philippines won yeah. above and beyond <laughs> a filipino won miss universe Pia Wurzbach was able to represent the Philippines well. She deserved it so much. And um, it was time for us to celebrate because for the past 30 years, um, we have been yearning for that crown. Yeah, yeah. And that year, 2015, we were able to snatch it. <laughs> so, yeah, um, just, just merely looking at how pageants have evolved through the years. I am just so amazed that from the superficial nature of it back in the 60s now it has become a source of power more yeah. so a platform in which women can 
address issues um, concerning womanhood, concerning um, things that matter, things that we really need to discuss. And as a crucial part of pageantry, I guess, trans pageants are also evolving. Right. And I'm very happy that Miss Trans Global has now led the evolution into the discussion of why trans women need to be recognized, more so be respected. And I love that. I love that. And I mean, looking ahead to the future then, because you're in a real position of power at this point, you know, you're Miss Trans Global and everybody knows your name. So what are you going to do for arguably the people that aren't in a position of power? I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, those people that are limited in terms of their career prospects, those young people that perhaps want to go into pageantry what are the next steps how are you going to use your platform um to advocate for them you know what nicole i'm very happy that so many young trans people are reaching out to me and i think that's the purpose of my platforms right now so that i could connect with them i could talk to them, I could inspire them, I could unleash their fullest potential so that whenever they see me being visible, they will also tell themselves that one day they could have that strength and I want to pass that energy to them. My goal is just to simply empower them. That is why every time I wake up, I, will, I always tell myself, today is a new day and today is a perfect day for you to inspire one person one person is just enough so i am just thrilled to a, to seeing myself walk into a future that i could still use my voice i could still use um the platforms that i have now which is growing every single day because that means people listen and when people listen it's an opener for a conversation. And slowly but surely, we are nearing towards the goal of equality. I can't wait for that moment. But if it doesn't happen in my lifetime, I want them, the younger trans people who are speaking to me right now, to be able to experience it. So I am involving myself in, myself in politics. I am involving myself in entertainment. I am involving myself in in social um, things, social discussions, so that the issues that I hear from my fellow trans women could be heard. Yeah. Whenever I hear something, I tell it. I really tell it. And I guess, you know what? It just amazes me how, how my life has been directed to the art of storytelling and me translating these stories so that people could read it and people could hear it. And when they hear it, when they um, read it, there's a reflection and a realization. And that translates, I guess, into understanding more so into just merely destroying the prejudices that have been thrown at us. So more to come. I am very hopeful. <laughs> I'm very positive about it. Oh, that's so exciting. That is, and I, I feel a real sense of hope when I listen to your story because your story is one that 
it is so personal it's one that really is honest and it's one that um you bring so much of yourself to it and I think that going forward you know with your work and social discussions in politics and entertainment being your true self is is the most powerful thing and I think that is what makes I think that is why people listen to you because you bring yourself to your stories um and I think that's I think that's so impressive so I'm very excited for the future so encouraging to hear both Mella and Jean talk about pageants with such hope for the future. I asked Mella and Jean how they saw the future of pageants changing, especially with regards to pageants being used as a tool for advocacy. Perhaps uh, I'd like to comment on uh, the idea that, uh, you know, pageants have received a lot of flack because uh, some people think it's anachronistic. Some people think it's exploitative of women. Some people think that it's, um, it's outdated. But I think it's also a very complex and powerful site where we can contest you know, um, structures. We can contest uh, current social arrangements. Um, and I think we, we should give it, uh, we, should, we should give it a try. We should, um, we should all, I think we shouldn't be very, uh, I used the term earlier, monolithic about, about pageants. Um, it is a contested site. It is a site of contestation. And so we should um, appreciate it for its capacity to transform we should appreciate the women who participate in pageants for their capacity to turn it on its head and to take advantage of it so that they can aspire for something um, greater. Because for, for a lot of women in the Philippines, it is an option. It, it is aspirational. Um, we are a developing country, and so it, it is an option, but hopefully not an option to be exploited, but an option to, you know, to, be, to get ahead in life, to be better, to transform. All in all, putting together this podcast has been so educational and has really challenged what I thought I knew about podcasts. Being able to interview these two amazing guests, um, I think, shows how multifaceted beauty pageants are. And so I will leave with Mella's words, which I think really show how transformational beauty pageants can be. It's not only my story that I'm telling. More so, it's very important that you also tell the stories of those who, whom you um, encounter every single day. And just hearing it will allow you to see experiences and will make you make yourself grow more as a representative, as a spokesperson. And you're also fostering leadership on your own because you want to fight for them. 
You want to fight with them. You want to see a world that will be beneficial for them. And you allow yourself to be a bridge from their present to a beautiful future. I guess that's my purpose right now.